the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, January the 21st, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today, on January 21st, 1861, Jefferson Davis of Mississippi, four other Southerners whose states had seceded from the Union, they resigned from the U.S. Senate. Today in 1793, during the French Revolution, King Louis XVI, he'd been condemned for treason. He was executed on the guillotine. Today in 1924, Russian revolutionary Vladimir Lenin, he died. He was 53 years old when he died. Today in 1950, former State Department official Algier Hiss, he was accused of being part of a communist spy ring. He was found guilty in New York, guilty of lying to a grand jury. He said he was innocent. He served a little less than four years in prison. And today in 1974, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that pregnant teachers can no longer be forced to take long leaves of absence. I don't know. I'm not sure what all is behind that. But anyway, that happened today in 1974. Today in 1976, British Airways and Air France inaugurated scheduled passenger service on the supersonic Concorde jet. Remember that one with the long nose? You know, there's some of those jets sitting out in the desert somewhere. They're just stored now. They don't use them anymore. That was a, looked like a real, you know, kind of a forward-looking, you know, airplane, but it didn't work out all that great for a whole lot of reasons, I guess. Today, in 1977, on his first full day in office, President Jimmy Carter He pardoned almost all of the Vietnam War draft evaders. He he did a lot of things today, but he also asked everyone in the nation to not warm their home above 65 degrees. He said, we've got to save energy. Today in 1997, Speaker Newt Gingrich was reprimanded. He was fined as the House voted for the first time in history to discipline its leader, for ethical misconduct. I thought Newt Gingrich did a great job. I guess they didn't. I can't remember what he did, but he did something. He probably wasn't thinking that he did. It wasn't all that bad. But anyway, they they reprimanded him and disciplined him. Today in 1997. Today in 2003, the Census Bureau announced that Hispanics had surpassed blacks as America's largest minority group. I noticed, as I was looking at some of the things that have happened in history today, I noticed that Gary Locke, remember Gary Locke? He's a former U.S. ambassador to China, but also a former Washington state governor. He's 70 years old today. I also noticed George Burns said this today. I don't know where he was when he said it, but he said it today somewhere where he was giving a talk or a stand-up comedy routine or something. He said, George Burns, remember him? He said, I honestly think it's better to be a failure at something you love than to be a success at something 
you hate. Well, you can think about that for a while, but hold that thought. We'll come back to it later. You can come back to it later. I'm not going to come back to it later. An Iranian lawmaker announced this morning from the floor of their Congress or whatever they call it in Tehran, he said that he is placing a $3 million bounty on President Trump's head. Anyone who will take out the President of the United States, he will give them, and his district will give them $3 million. That's unbelievable. Reuters is reporting it. Now Fox News is reporting it this morning. This Ahmed Hamza, he made it during a speech in Parliament in Tehran. Nobody's for sure where he's going to get the $3 million. Money isn't flowing in the streets in Tehran. There's a lot of money there. Obama sent them $1.7 million or billion in cash on pallets in an airplane. Somebody has that money or they've spent it. But I don't know if this guy has that kind of money, but he says he's going to come up with the $3 million if somebody will kill the President of the United States. He said, on behalf of the people of Kerman province, we will pay a $3 million reward in cash to whoever kills Trump. Well, that's a great way to start the day, to start a session in Parliament. But that's the world we live in. We live in a chaotic world. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy in the last letter that Paul would write, 2 Timothy. Paul wrote, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Among the final things that Paul wrote to the church before he would himself give his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ, he said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Yet, a lot of people are afraid today. In fact, I noticed a feature article today, I think it was by Dennis Prager. I, I think it was Prager. Somebody wrote an article today, and it's kind of an in-depth. It looked pretty long. I didn't read it, but it was about why today's youth live in fear. And we hear a lot about that because a lot of people do live in fear today. There is a fear. There's a cloud of fear over just over most people's lives, different reasons in different parts of the earth. But here in America... There's a sense of uncertainty, which breeds fear. Unless that person is absolutely standing on the rock, not the sand, but the rock, Jesus Christ. There are people from every tribe, every nation, every color, every language who are part of the family of God in this world. About three billion of us now. And yes, we face troubling times in our own personal lives and collectively, wherever we live on this globe. But I will tell you there is one constant, there is one thing that does not and will not change. And that is God himself and his word. And when we invest our lives and our eternity in Jesus Christ, because he has invested himself in us, He died for you because he knew that you needed a savior. And so did I. That is what is not changing in our world. Everything else seems to be in flux and seems to be fluid. Even truth. God's word will never pass away. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. The promises that you know, that you've memorized, the promises that you read as you open your Bible or your iPhone or whatever you read the Bible from, as you read those words, those words are not going to be different tomorrow. People will come and go. False prophets will cross your path and cross the face of the earth and cross our communities and walk through our churches and sometimes be invited to stand in the pulpits of our church. False prophets. And they will make their claims. But the word of God will never, ever change. So when you feel troubled, concerned, or fearful, open open the Bible and read. That will not change. The voices, the people, the personalities, they'll come and go. But the Word of God will never, ever change. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 32, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And the psalmist wrote this, I'm sure many of you know this from memory, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Just relax. God is in control. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you should be nervous. You should be fearful. And I'm sure you are, at least at times. I'm talking to the people, as my friend Charles Stanley would say, if you're not a Christian, this isn't going to work for you. But if you're a Christian, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that changes everything. You will not be moved. God's Word will not pass away. In that context, Nancy Pelosi announced... Yesterday, she said, we have a strong case against the President of the United States. She said, it's infallible. She said that. It's infallible. She said, the American people have seen the allegations and their allegations. She said, it doesn't quite make sense, but that's what she said. She said, we see more evidence that could be continued in this documentation. In other words, she's calling on the Senate now to find more things that they can charge Trump with because they couldn't find them in the House. For us little people, not the elite, that means she knows her case is very weak and she's hopeful that the Senate can come up with more evidence to support her weak case this this week and in the weeks to follow. She says the Senate Republicans are not willing to help her because they're afraid of the truth. I'll come back to that in a moment, but that's what's going on in the most powerful capital in the world. It's like a circus. But that's what's happening, and we want to be informed. Virginia's Second Amendment rally was hyped by the New York Times down to the little, small, local newspapers across America and TV and radio and so on. It was hyped to be a racist and violent occasion happened yesterday, Saturday, and yesterday, and Sunday and yesterday. 
Second Amendment rally in Richmond was hyped by liberals, the media, to be a violent event. It was going to be attended by, they said there will be untold numbers of white supremacists. Instead, there were 22,000 people at that rally who peacefully carried their guns, all kinds of guns, lots of guns, different races. There's no white supremacy there. Different races. They stood outside the Capitol. They protested the proposed gun control bills. Virginia's trying to take the guns away from the people. Patrick Henry and some of those guys would have a fit if they knew what their state was doing, trying to do. The mainstream media said Richmond was bracing. These are their words. New York Times, Washington Post, all of them said Richmond was bracing for a, quote, tense day that it could turn into another Charlottesville, meaning people were going to get hurt and killed. In fact, NBC reporter Ben Collins, he was on the air live. He was talking on Sunday about, he said, about misinformation. He was telling reporters, he said, to all of my comrades, he didn't use the word comrades, my colleagues in the news media, he said, we want to be careful we don't spread misinformation inadvertently about this white nationalist rally. It wasn't a white nationalist rally. He was spreading misinformation while he was telling other reporters not to spread misinformation. But he was doing so purposely. He had to be. He's smarter than that. He wouldn't have his job if he wasn't. It wasn't a white nationalist rally. It was a Second Amendment rally. It's amazing how the media works on our minds and influences people who are not paying attention. This Princess Kabor, I think that's how you pronounce her name, it's K-U-V-O-R. She's an African-American woman. She was carrying an (laughs) AR-15, and she told a reporter from uh, Town Hall, that's uh, owned I think it's owned by Salem Broadcasting, I think. But anyway, it's a, it's a great website. I pay attention to it. But she told somebody from Town Hall that the people who are trying to portray this event as a white supremacist rally, she said they really need to get a life. She said those people need to, need to stop being racist because, as you can see, I am a black woman. I'm from Africa. I immigrated here when I was five years old. I love this country. Our Second Amendment rights are very important. This other guy from Africa was there a lot of blacks and and Mexicans, Hispanics. It wasn't white supremacist. There was no hint of that. This other guy from Africa, he said, I I immigrated here, and he said, uh, why is the media pushing this white supremacist claim? He said, that's like propaganda in the country I came from. These people, I mean, they see right through these people, but we here in America haven't lived where they've lived. And we don't we don't see it sometimes. It, it's a it's an amazing thing how how the press boy they have a narrative and they just won't I mean they won't let go of it. If they want that those twenty two thousand people gathering in Virginia for a rally to in support of the Second Amendment, if they want that to be a white supremacist, they're going to work themselves to the bone to try to make it a White supremacist rally. It wasn't a white supremacist rally. They also don't report a great deal about, unless they're forced to do so, about the marches for life around the country. This has been taking place all through January. Washington State has one at the Capitol, Olympia, today. People are meeting there at, uh, at noon. 
I would encourage you, if you're listening, if you're close by, if you can go, it's in Olympia, Washington Capitol, on the steps, be there. Yakima has a March for Life. I was told somebody wrote me a note and said they have one on Saturday the 25th from 1 to 3. They meet at Grace uh, uh, Grace of Christ Presbyterian Church. That's I think it, that's right on um, Yakima Avenue. I remember that. I was born about just a three or four blocks from that church, actually, in a birthing clinic. I don't remember it, but my mother told me that when we would drive by as I was a kid. Spokane had a March for Life earlier this month. Others that are listening to this program have had or will have. Be sure to join those. Those two are not white supremacists, but who knows what the press will call them. President Trump is is in Switzerland today. He gave a speech this morning that celebrated the restoration of Americanism, Americans' dream. He trumpeted the success of the economic nationalism in front of the global elites. They're all sitting there. They're globalists, most of those guys that are at these conferences. Europe. Bernie Sanders is trying to be one of them. He wants to take America that way. So does Elizabeth Warren and others. He said a nation's, President Trump said a nation, told these elitists, he said a nation's highest duty is to its own citizens. He said honoring this truth is the only way to build faith and confidence in the market system. Only when governments put their own people first will people be fully invested in their national futures. The president noted that since he was elected, America has gained over 7 million jobs, and that's true. It's the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years in America as well as rising wages and household income thanks to his economic agenda. He said a pro-worker, pro-citizen, pro-family agenda demonstrates how a nation can thrive when its communities, its companies, its government work together for the good of the whole nation. I read a piece today somewhere, I read a lot of news this morning, but somewhere I read that the bottom 10% of workers, uh, as far as how much they make, the amount they earn, the bottom 10% workers, their increase was exponentially more percentage-wise in the last uh, measurement period, quarter or whatever. I'm not sure what it was, but maybe it was the last year. I don't know. But the bottom 10% percentage-wise had exponentially more increase in their income than the top 10%. And so often people who do some of the things and invoke some of the policies that Trump invokes are accused of just trying to make the rich richer and the poor poorer. On the, the, the rich get rich on the back of the poor. And that is what happens around the world. But that's not what what's happening here. And these statistics were out there. It was either Fox or, or I don't know, it was one of those news services that had it as a headline today. And I, I glanced at it. And I thought, well, that's a good thing. The president also, in his speech in Davos this morning, he said, Today I hold up the American model as an example of the world of a working system of free enterprise that will produce the most benefits for the most people in the 21st century and beyond. He also talked about the climate. That kid is there, that uh, Greta, and um, she hates him. And she... You know, she can stand with Nancy Pelosi and others, but she really doesn't like him. I guess she's been talking about him around the around the city. 
today, which I, I'm sure doesn't bother him a great deal. But in any case, he didn't mention her as far as I could see in the text of what he said. But um, he was talking about this, these global warming and all of that, because they're they're linking that very heavily with the economic talks that they're having there at, at this Davos conference. And President Trump, he recalled false scientific predictions of overpopulation, mass starvation, and an end of oil in the past decades. He talked about that a little bit. He said, these alarmists always demand the same thing, absolute power to dominate, transform, and control every aspect of our lives. He said, we'll never let radical socialists destroy our economy, wreck our country, or eradicate our liberty. He defined the government bureaucrats who burdened Americans with this onerous regulations and government controls. He talked about that for a long time. He was certainly referring to the Jimmy Carters and the Barack Obamas. Clinton was not so, Bill Clinton was not so much that way as a president, although he was somewhat. But President Trump said, today I urge other nations to follow our example and liberate your citizens from the crushing weight of bureaucracy. With that, he said, you have to run your own countries the way you want to. Really took a shot, thankfully, at globalism. That will not be well received, but it is what it is. Well, in our halls of power, halls of Congress today, there's a lot of scurrying around. A um, The trial to impeach this president will begin at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. It's in about a half an hour here on the Pacific, live, as I am now. Nancy Pelosi says, we saw a strong case, an infallible, undeniable case for the impeachment of this president. So no future president would ever think she or he could get away with what President Trump has been getting away with in, in, his, in his view. She said public opinion will have a lot to do with this. That caught my attention. There's so much noise out there. I mean, so many people are talking. They're talking fast. They're talking lots of words. There's billions of words floating around. You can't hardly sort through all of it. That's what sometimes creates fear, confusion, chaos in people's hearts and minds. I mean, it's it's a crazy, it's a chaotic time that we live in. But when Pelosi said that, and those are her actual words. I mean, I'm quoting her. Public opinion has a lot to do with this. Our case is infallible. Infallible? To a progressive, I guess whatever they're thinking at the moment is infallible. I'll come back to that in a moment. But the adjective infallible, it means, I looked it up. I I know what it means, but I I just wanted to see what Webster and all these other guys are are saying in the dictionary. They're saying what I thought they were saying. The dictionary says infallible means incapable of making mistakes or being wrong. The Bible is infallible. There isn't anything else that's infallible. God himself is infallible. But that's what progressives do. It's ironic that biblical Christians profess that God's word is infallible, the Bible, and it is. While progressives and religious left profess that their work or their words are infallible because Progressivism replaces God with man. That's why it's so deadly. That's why I get so 
agitated sometimes when I see pastors inviting the Jim Wallaces and these guys, these secular or religious left ideologues into their pulpits. They mislead people. They mislead them. They give them enough scripture and they talk about some of the things that touch our hearts, compassion and so on, and they deny the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are who Paul was talking about when he said, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. That is the religious left. And in doing so, I will tell you this, and this is not, this is from my heart, from a broken heart. I'm not angry. I'm concerned. Because I've seen people misled throughout my life in the ministry. I've seen people who loved the Lord, and then somebody came along and started telling them stuff that doesn't line up with the Bible. And I've seen their lives ruined and their families ruined. I don't know what their eternity holds, but I do know what I've seen in this lifetime. And it bothers me a great deal when I see people misleading sincere people. That's why we need to be informed. We need to know what the Bible says, not what Gary Randall says, not what somebody else says, what the Bible says. These people play on people's emotions. And that's exactly what Nancy Pelosi is doing. She presents herself as a woman of prayer. I don't know what she does in her private life. I don't even know what she does in her public life except what I read in the news. She may be a a woman who prays all the time. I don't know. But her actions defy the truth of God's word. She, nor her project to get rid of the president, is infallible. That's nonsense. That's crazy. But they always do that. Progressives, particularly secular progressives, But the religious left is being drawn into this whole web of deception. Her plan to get rid of the president, no matter who the president would be, is not infallible. God's word is infallible. But progressivism always replaces God with man. Keep that in mind. According to her words, a good part of her impeachment is to use Trump as an example for future Republican presidents who might might try to do something that she doesn't agree with or others like her. It's curious that she says public opinion will have a lot to do with this. Does this mean that her actions are purely political? I think it does. If she really wants to allow the public to have a lot a, a lot to do with this, as she says, why can't she just wait for the public to vote in November? And when the public votes in November, we'll, I mean, that's quite a bit of involvement. And if she wants the public to have quite a bit to do with it, why doesn't she just let us vote and we'll decide who the next president will be? And if it isn't Trump, then we will maybe weep and sob and accept Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or whoever. We won't carry on like they have, I can promise you. The leadership of the conservative movement, the Republicans and others, they're not going to act like this. They never have. Alan Dersowich is becoming a real pain in the neck for Nancy Pelosi and these other guys. He's a highly respected, well-known Harvard Law professor for 50 years, former ACLU board member. He's a Democrat. He voted for Hillary, and he's on the Trump defense team. He says he's not defending Trump. He said, I'm defending the Constitution. That's a real problem for the left. There's more on this. I would encourage you to go to our website, faithandfreedom.us. 
and read. I wrote an, quite an extensive article on this today. It's well documented, so you can read that. Also, thank you so much for your support. We need it. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Thanks for being with me today. I'll see you right here tomorrow.